Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will fulfill the good promise that I have made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. That's the prophet Jeremiah. He said that 600 years before what we're talking about. Where's the manger scene? There it is. Before this takes place. He makes this bold prediction. God had whispered in his ear and told him what to say. He said, write these things down. He filled the prophet Jeremiah's mind with vivid pictures of what was to come. Incredibly, the all-powerful God who created every single thing you can possibly think of and the ability to think in the first place stooped to do something so that you and I might know who he is. He did it so that he could come to our level and we could understand him. Here's what he did. God bound himself with promises. God bound himself with promises, and what's more, he put it in writing. Now, I don't want to start any fights here on Christmas Eve, okay? I really, really don't, but this will serve to illustrate this well. Have you ever gone back and looked at a text to prove that you actually did say to your friend, spouse, roommate, teacher, boss, what you said that you had said? You go back and you go, see, I did send the, the correct time, angry screenshot, emoji, emoji, send, right? You have gone back and what you just did was you verified what was in writing. If there's too much laughter, it's really telling that it's you, Heather. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's powerful to have a written record of things. And this is both for the good and for the bad. Ever delete a thread or something? Or Google? How do I get rid of this thing that I sent off and is now in writing? God is on the record for who he is, how he acts, and what he's up to. You ready for this mind-blowing thing? It's called the Bible. That's God being on record. Now, prophets knew the headlines, and what they did was they announced them faithfully. But what makes a story great, a story worth telling, and what's more, a story worth living, is all in the details. Now, raise your hand if you have seen the trailer, like 6.9 million before you, to the new Spider-Man movie. Anyone watch the trailer for that? Okay. Um, if you have seen the trailer, here's what you see in any movie trailer. You see really clear, vivid pictures of what's going on. But they're snippets, aren't they? They don't tell you how it's all going to play out. It actually leaves you hungry for the details. Now, here's what's, what's true. Producers didn't come up with this to get you to buy a ticket to their movie. God did. They're called prophets. Now, here's where Jeremiah goes on. He says, look, the days are coming when I will fulfill the good promise that I've made. Here's what he says, very next verse. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David, and he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. So God not only binds himself with a promise. He didn't have to do that. 
He didn't have to say, I promise to do this, and then to go back on it would make his character look bad, wouldn't it? Instead, he also bound himself with a promise and put it in writing. If we're all honest, at some point in our life, perhaps tonight, we look at the Old Testament, two-thirds of the Bible that God supernaturally kept alive um, and, and intact all this time. We look at the Old Testament, a giant chunk of the Holy Scriptures. And if we're honest, and at this church, we really like being honest, we have wondered what to make of it all. What do we think of it all? Why is it so winding? Why are there long portions that are hard to understand? Why is it so confusing? The Old Testament, like the New Testament, is God on the record. When you read the history sections of the Old Testament, here's what you are reading. You are reading the actions and judgments of God recorded down for all to see on display. Here is who I am. Here is how I deal in wisdom and understanding and in fairness and in long-suffering. This is what I am doing. Parents, I want you to imagine for a moment. I want you to imagine whether you have little children, children on the way, children you hope for one day, or children who are long out of the house. I want you to imagine if every one of your parenting actions and decisions were somehow documented. How are we with that, parents? Are we good with that? Do we look at that and go, yeah, I'm pretty good with my track record. Bring it on. That'll be a nationwide bestseller. Or would we be tempted to edit a little bit? We'd be tempted to edit a little bit. I mean, that's a really frightening thing. Now, kids, we could flip the script and say, how about if every single one of your actions, children, were documented? God is here for all to see. The history is written down for our good, both to know what God is like and to avoid the pitfalls of those who have gone before. Raise your hand if you have an older brother or sister. Raise your hand. All right, we got a, we got a ton of middle or youngest kids in here. I want you to think of something. I, I hope that if you're still in the home, I hope that you pick up something from tonight that will serve you really well on into the future. Let me read a verse for you and see if you can pick it out. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says this. Listen carefully. It's talking about the Old Testament, all these things from the prophets and the histories that were written down. The writer of Corinthians says this, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Things that happened to our ancestors, our older brothers and sisters, they happened as an example. They were written down for our instruction. Now, kids, when you see your older siblings being lovingly, truthfully, gracefully, and faithfully disciplined for wrongdoing. Parents, that's the goal, right? I know we don't hit all those every time, but we're trying. Younger kids, when you see your older siblings getting disciplined for disobedience, do not test your parents five minutes later or five days later to see if it's still wrong. You'll get in trouble too. I learned very, very early on never to break curfew in our home. Chuck, what is a curfew? That's right. I knew an engineer would know this. It's a limit on time when you need to be home. 
So it's Nicole, be home by 11 p.m. Got it, mom. Do I need to put that in writing? No, 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 we're good. In our home, if you were home at 10.59, you were good. 11 on the nose, whoo, cutting it close. You were still good. You know what happened at 11.01? You earned some work time. How much? Here's the going rate in the Carlson household growing up. You ready? One minute equals one hour of work. What? I get to pay 60 minutes of my life to celebrate my parents' faithfulness and instilling discipline in me? You betcha. I bet your parents forgot once in a while. Never. I don't know how they did it. They never forgot. So I watched one summer, right before I was about to get freedom to go outside the house, I watched our backyard transform from a weed pit into a lush garden at the hands of my brother, John. (laughs) That was probably June. In July, we got our back fence painted. By August, I mean, I don't know, we had built a new house. Like, he was working his tail off. Now, I wish it was because... I was doing what one of the Ten Commandments says, which is to honor your father and mother. But you know why I never, ever, ever broke curfew? You guessed it. I'm lazy. I hate to work. I think that's a terrible trade-off. So I made absolutely sure that I was home on time every time. Why? Because I saw what happened to my brother as an example, and I let it instruct me. So as God's character is on display in the history records, the prophecies are God's promises on display and on the record. He didn't just say what he would do. He bound himself with an oath, with a covenant. And like we do today, when something is really, really important, we put it in writing. We write it down. So here is the God-sized problem of the ages. How can a holy God who embodies truth, faithfulness, and goodness possibly have friendship with any human being? Everyone has darkness and sins. It is the human condition. No one taught it to us. We were born into this life of messing up. Ignore sin in the name of mercy and love, and that makes God a liar and a hypocrite about what the penalty of sin is. So we can't do that. Ignore mercy in the name of justice and truth. Well, that makes God out to be a brute and a cold, distant dictator. God is neither one of those. He's already gone on record that he is both loving, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and a God of wrath who punishes sin, who thinks truth is really important. He's a God of justice. So he's both merciful and just. How can this be? Ready for the headline? Jesus saves. That's the headline. Jesus saves. But friends, it's the details. It's the details of that headline. 
that year after year for me, I've been coming to Christmas Eve services all my life. There's no place I'd rather be than right here, thinking on, celebrating, glorifying with other worshipers. The details of this story is this. He takes our place, getting punished for us. His righteous life becomes our resume before a holy God. The perfect life he lived is what I get. My sin and filth and guilt and a life of messing up is what he gets. That's the great exchange. If you're convicted of a crime in court and somebody pays your fine, the judge can legally dismiss your case. This is what Jesus offers to every sinner. Listen to it in Colossians 2. It says this, You were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Catch this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. We celebrate tonight, not just the culmination of the first act in the story, but the linchpin, it's the turning point of all of human history. And it ends up pointing to the cross. God promises salvation from the the cruel slavery of sin. He foreshadows it, this victory on the cross, in the history of the Israelites who were slaves of Egypt. And what did God do? He disarmed the rulers and authorities, shaming them, the Egyptians, publicly by his victory over them through ten plagues. What God let Moses do on a human scale, Jesus comes and does on a cosmic global scale. Timothy Keller writes this, Listen for this God-sized problem sitting in front of us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. I close with this. God made promises in the Old Testament. Do you know that after Jesus rose from the dead, more promises are there? They're sitting there waiting for us. How about the nature of sin? 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiven of all sins? Cleansed from all righteousness? I don't know what you're planning on getting, hoping to getting, giving tomorrow. There's no gift like that, is there? That's the gift. How about on never being abandoned? Romans 8.38 says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life 
Some of us have had a very challenging year where death has entered our home. Death has entered our uh, previously comfortable sphere of life. God's promise is this. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How about a promise on salvation? Galatians 4.4 is the Christmas story sitting right in the middle of your New Testament. Two verses. Listen for the Christmas story. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who were under the law, so that we might receive, listen to this, adoption as sons. So how do I get in on this promise? How do I make sure that I'm already in on this promise? That seems really, really important, doesn't it? I think so important that maybe God should have written it down. Good thinking. He did. Here it is. Romans 10, 13. Quite simply, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We are in on this promise for the asking. You call on the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob of the Old Testament, the God that empowered Moses. Moses isn't the hero of, this, of the Exodus. God is. Call on that name. And God has bound himself with a promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, that's really good news. I don't care if he did that 30 years ago. That's still really good news. It's worth celebrating. It's worth thinking on. God bound himself with a promise and then he binds himself to us. God predicts salvation clearly. It's all there in the scriptures. He fulfills it perfectly. He sustains it faithfully. He points back to it powerfully in case we missed it, because we do. Listen to 2 Peter 1. It says, we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. The promises of God are safe and secure to trust completely. Proof is as close as the nearest Bible, where the prophetic word is strongly confirmed then and now. And as this passage says, We would do really, really well to pay attention to it. The way we're going to end this evening, I told you you all had a part. Here it comes. Stretch a little bit if you need to. Shake it out. We're going to basically do a little drama. 
we're going to enact something that will sort of reveal um, what's, what's going on in, in the world. Am I missing something? Okay, good. Matt made me nervous. He's either the bouncer to like yank me off the stage or he's just there serving. Um, so what we're going to do is this. We're going to turn all of the lights off in the whole building and we're going to consider something we looked at this last Sunday, which was this, that, that light and dark preach to us every single day. Every single day and night, light preaches to us. Why? Because light wins out over the darkness every single time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the flame from this Christ candle right here, and I'm going to light it. And this is going to start a chain of events uh, where we are going to basically um, pass this around. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to start over here with Aaron, and we're going to, we're going to go... Um, we're going to go down this whole side, coming from the back, coming forward, coming over here. You got it? We're snaking. Someone remember that because someone's going to get to the end and go, what are we doing? And what I want you to pay attention to is as you are taking the candle and lighting it to the next person, I just want you to sort of feel and see what's going on in the room. Okay? While we do that, we're going to sing some really familiar Christmas carols and go out worshiping God in song and in this little drama that we're going to do together.